This is the Nomad Futurist Podcast, a podcast about the evolution of technology, society, and transformation. Connect with us, share your thoughts with us at nomadfuturist.com. Let's get this started. Here are Phil and Nabil. Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to Nomad Futurist. It's a pleasure to be here. We've got Nabil in Hawaii. Phil in New York City. And Kevin in Chicago. Well, Kevin, tell us a little bit about, about yourself. What do you do? What line of work are you in? So for the last 20 years or so, I've been involved in the networking side of things. The simplest way to, to break it down I've ever been told is I build the highways by which computers talk to each other. So I work within data centers and then for financial firms primarily. How have you seen it progress over the last two decades, whereby if you look at where we're at today in the COVID-19 situation and it's a relevant concern, do you see that the highways are big enough to manage the traffic that we are seeing, especially in the circumstances that we are in today? I think for the most part, I, you know, there's, there's several different layers that you can take a look at. Um, if you're going out to the prem, you know, in individual people's homes, which is where uh, most of us should be at this point, uh, and are, uh, there's a variance. Some people are, are still have a small bandwidth up and down. I think they're finding that up is just as important as down, uh, especially with the advent of Slack calls and Microsoft team meeting calls. You know, the video uh, piece of it, Zoom obviously is doing a great job. Uh, at this point, but when people are hosting those calls, the upstream is seem to be lacking. The down is not a problem from what I've seen. When you move further from the prem more into the core pieces, you know your big providers and and where the content is is ultimately being uh, served up from, you know your data centers is really primarily where that's at. Uh, the pipes I haven't seen to be a problem in terms of the equipment that's being utilized is is no longer a blocker. So when we look at the existing infrastructure and knowing the fact that there's more and more people that are being pushed into remote work environments, this is a massive increase from four weeks ago where hypothetically speaking, if you were to throw a number out there, it's roughly in the 10 to 12% range. Those numbers have doubled where people are working remotely. Those numbers have actually quadrupled because now you've got kids going to online school. Are you of the view that we are actually ready for the next three to five years as we see more and more migration of the workloads of people working remotely? So I have a six-year-old who uh, is finishing kindergarten at home. the main issue that I've seen so far is being the preparedness of people to switch into what is now going to become a new norm. More and more people are going to be able to work from home, and, and this is the massive test bed for it. So are we ready at this point in time? I think a large portion of the technology has been available for some period of time. It's the familiarity of the end user you know, and the content providers and how that leadership program goes behind that to develop those things. I think that severely lacks, but it's gonna have to catch up quick. My son's district here doesn't have a plan. Their legitimate quote was, we're building the airplane while we fly it. And I went, oh, that's a little scary. But there's a lot of companies that are like that at, at this point in time. So getting back to the question, are we prepared for the next three to five years? I think that there's going to be 
an explosive growth in terms of what we do and what we're talking about on this particular show in terms of the data center and the different content providers, where that content is coming from, where it's stored, you know, the resiliency of it is going to be massive. Can we handle today's work? Yes, but it's going to have to amplify as everyone else becomes familiar and starts to do new things. So we need to stay ahead of it. I think, I guess at the end of the day, I think we're all of the mind that uh, this idea of new normal, uh, this idea that, you know, some of what I think people consider disruption from how they typically did things has a significant permanence to it in terms of how people are going to be working you know, in the near term, medium term, and, and probably longer term. What, what, what I find in, in my world, and, and I'd be interested to know if you see it in yours, is, you know, some of it, um, I mean, yeah, you've been working remote for a long time, but some of what we're seeing now is the idea that, um, you know, people had theoretically uh, started investing in making sure that they had the availability of infrastructure for things like e-learning and telemedicine and all that, but it wasn't something that they... Uh, we're we're inter- inherently focused on, and it seems to me that something like this is just going to accelerate all of those plans on on a massive scale. So right now, everyone is leveraging things like Zoom and and Microsoft Teams and Google Hangouts and whatnot. But you know, so many of these companies that start relying upon these technologies more and more are going to have to build out some of that infrastructure internally, um, and that's where a lot of the, uh, the the investment may come from. I think it's the gravity of the situation which is dictating how people are going after this. And, and I don't really want to go down this path, but here we are and I'll do it anyway. Uh, we're all old enough to remember 9-11, quite succinctly, and how things changed on a dime. Not to go into that too much, but for here, you literally had in the space of a couple of weeks, everyone go f- from commuting to the office and all being in a centralized arena to now the gravity of the situation has taken them home and still have to communicate in a different way effectively to other counterparties without being face to face, which is incredibly difficult to do. And And it's, it's happened to the entire household across, you know, the entire world simultaneously. Right. Um, And you know, that, that, that's where, that's where things get really, really interesting. Right. It's a brand new world. It's for sure. It's not the first time anything like this has happened to us. We've had multiple events, whether it be technology-related events such as 9-11, whether it be flus from the 1918s. We've gone oh, yeah. through, as, as mankind, we've gone through so many of these events over, over centuries that we should have actually learned to prepare ourselves for tomorrow. Funny thing about humans, isn't it? Uh, um, it's, why, it's why people buy uh, property in Florida during her during uh, d- during the winter and forgetting about hurricane season and uh, and immediately wonder why they did so during hurricane season. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if you if you take it from an economic perspective, the last time that we had a downturn in the United States <clears throat> was two thousand and eight. If you figure that you're it, for the for the financial systems, you, you have a bunch of people who who kind of look at the market as it sits, they've never seen this. They're all 30 years and under. Well, 12 years ago, they were entering college. They had no, you know, no historical perspective on this sort of thing. Not saying that that's a bad thing. It's just, you know, someone like Ray Dalio will, will tell you, he looks at, at historical instances 
uh, across multiple different nations and across multiple different time frames to see how it likens to what is happening today. I think if we took more of a perspective on that and kind of more emphasis on that in terms of how to prepare for things like what we're about to see, uh, we'd be better prepared overall. It's a part of the issue is us being human. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we, we tend to have short-term memory. We live in the moment. Uh, we don't necessarily plan for the future. Right. Um, where I was headed with that is that we, we've, we've actually encountered this before. I mean, and let's, let's put the financial discussion on the side for a minute, but for, for what you do and what I'm seeing, this call is actually a perfect example of it, whereby we've got latency issue. We're dropping packets as we speak. If you look at Netflix, if you look at Amazon Prime, if you look at Hulu, all the streaming media, they've actually exploded in the last three weeks. Absolutely. So what I've started to see is that actually content providers and distributors have actually started to slow down the buffering, slow down content distribution. Sure. And, and, and this is probably a perfect example of it. The question that I was leading into is like, why have not we had the opportunity to prepare ourselves for it, whereby we know we're not going back in time. Digital transformation we've been talking about, it's taking place. It's going to happen. We're not going to handwrite letters. We're not going to go live in caves. We're moving right. forward. Right. Why haven't we prepared ourselves for faster, quicker information and data to the users? You know, that, that's an excellent question. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, why the preparation wasn't done, I think is the same answer that it's, it's been done for any particular uh, technology bump up. Within, what was it, when the car first got manufactured 10 years later, it took to get off of the horse and buggy. I mean, except for in Central Park, of course. But, but I think they do that for different reasons. It, it, it takes some time to get familiar with it and for things to develop as a new norm. When you're, when you're in a position like this where it's, you're jumping into the deep end of the pool, uh, you know, it's sink or swim time. So I think that's why the content providers are putting a little bit of a restriction on some of the things because they're not ready on the back end. You know, the servers and, and serving up content, maybe that needs a little bit more care as opposed to getting it just straight out across the wire. I think there are two, a, uh, there, there, there are two perspectives that are, that are interesting here, right? One is that companies like, and service providers like people tend to you know, concentrate their efforts on being reactive versus being proactive. You know, they're going to solve a problem when it exists as opposed to you know, anticipating a problem before it exists. Sure. Um, and I think you know, after the bubble of the 2000s, and, and, and both of your perspectives would be interesting on this, you, know, you had you know, the concept of overbuilding, which, which has you know, been replaced by the concept of oversubscription. It's, it's it's the flexibility that and you know the, the the cost benefit of not having to necessarily think that all of your users are going to use all of their available capacity simultaneously um, that gets turned on its head during you know a situation like this where you know you're not looking at something that is regional or even national but like totally and utterly global. I assume people are watching Netflix in Antarctica right now, and and that's bizarre. Very much so. Uh, you know, I think in a lot of different ways, you know, oversubscribing different things, 
I mean, at the end of the day, there's a, there's a profit motiva- motivation as well. Maybe you don't want to update your gear or update your lines because you want to sink as much or you want to acquire as much profit out of that particular initial spend, and it's fine. No, it's all fine. You know, it's fine until it's not fine. And right now, it's not fine. Do you think if we actually had 5G fully implemented, would it actually, in, in this hockey stick effect that we have seen in the last four weeks, would it have made any difference? It's, that's an interesting question. Do you add lanes to a highway because you're experiencing a bunch of traffic? Well, not necessarily. Sometimes you do a different mode of transportation, the correct answer. You're not going to, you know, on the Brooklyn Bridge, as, as Phil looks out, he knows that every day it's just going to be gridlock. Even if they added another bridge. Not today. Not today. <laughs> but he knows it's going to be gridlock. We have, we have several different highways out here as well in Chicago. One is affectionately known as the Hillside Strangler. Every day, it doesn't matter what time of day, you can be 2 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, it, there's going to be just a blockage. It's because it's not the right medium to go across. So the problem with 5G, even though it's a great technology, it's, it's going to add more cars to the highway. You're going to up the bandwidth. You're going to up the content production uh, the definition of it, which is all sounds great, but if the back end can't support it, you're going to have intentional slowdowns just like we're exp- experiencing now. It's so, going to exacerbate any bottlenecks. I think so. It's, it's, it, think of it this way, Nabil. In, in the data center, uh, putting a 400 gig pipe in is great, but if you're running on a 5,400 RPM hard drive for pulling data, it doesn't matter how fast it is. So that, that leads into the return on investment, upgrading infrastructures, and us being technologists and futurists and knowing what actually has actually happened in the past, what we're going through right now, that there are going to be these hockey stick effects as we move forward. Like Phil and I talk about it, there is a COVID-20 coming. There is a COVID-25 coming. Absolutely. Things like this are going to happen. Mm-hmm. We talk about digital transformation. We talk about technology platforms. We talk about information now culture. How do we as technologists, particularly in your capacity, that's developing and maintaining these, you know, highways and freeways of communication, how do you educate both upstream and downstream, that is the executive management in the finance sector, making decisions of whether or not to make that capital investment down to the user base? So on my side of things, um, historically, in the, in the financials and especially in the trading uh, industry, they're not afraid of making the investment. Money, I'm not gonna say it's, it's not a factor, but it's less of a factor as being available and being as low latency as possible. So they've already set up their systems where as if a primary path fails or becomes latent or becomes error prone, experiences CRCs, it doesn't really matter. They're gonna flip over immediately to the secondary path. And usually they have a tertiary path sitting there as well. From their perspective, they're rarely out of the market because it costs more to be not available than it would be to put, throw money at it or throw product at it. So it's a, it's a little bit of a easier sell on that side of things. If you know that you have to be in certain markets, uh, whether it's in Tokyo, Singapore, London, it doesn't, all of those particular markets 
you have to have a primary, you have to have a secondary. All of the latency profiles have to be a certain spec or under. So that's kind of built in, which is, which is neat, but it's difficult talking to other industries about it where that capital expense isn't directly tied to the profit margin. People that understand get it. People that are in the space that you define totally get it. How would you, in your capacity, try to explain that to somebody that's stuck in the ways? You know, I'd love to say that that just a straight mathematical computation would work on most people, but it, it really doesn't. Um, at the end of the day, and Phil knows, what did you say, Phil? 75% of your job is being a uh, psychiatrist or a psychologist? Yeah, sure. Psychology? Well, psychiatry when you're talking to me, I guess. Well, no but, question about that. <laughs> you know, but... Uh, at the end of the day, it's, it's, you know, how do you explain it to, to someone in the manufacturing field, you know, or healthcare or something like that? It's really kind of turning the question and flipping the script on it and saying, well, what's it going to cost you if you're not up, if you're not available? How does this, how does this affect your ability to do your job if it's not there? I had the situation. I had the situation after Sandy in uh, in New York, where you know it was it was it was very difficult to get people to buy into the idea of business continuity or disaster recovery after a certain level of you know people that had experience with that stuff in in the theoretical. But once they actually experienced it, once they actually were disrupted, once they saw the potential, you know, to have you know extended downtime. You didn't really have to explain it in the same way that you had to explain it if you were trying to reference in this particular situation, the 1918 pandemic. People are seeing the effects of this pandemic and you either are going to react or you're going to die uh, as a, from a business standpoint, it, it becomes much easier to, to make that sell if, if sell is the right word. Yeah. It's a justification. I mean, it's not even really a sell. It's, it's just protecting your own, it's protecting your own productivity. And I, you know, I was lucky enough, if you can say that, uh, to be around, you know, when September 11th happened, the financial markets shut down for a week and no one had a disaster recovery. Safety, uh, secure financial transaction infrastructure was built, which, you know, all the things were moved off to data centers that were fully redundant. You know, you had to have DR sites that were 31 miles away from, and, and the short distance, you had to have a disaster recovery site that was 31 miles away from your primary point of business. This was all a known for us, for our industry, 17 years ago. But it was reactive at that, but it was reactive at that point. It's not like oh, in 1995, point, they were like, okay, well, we need to make sure that we're planning for, you know, a terrorist attack in the... That'll never happen. Sure. Quote unquote, right? And, and then it did. But now uh, it's bought in. It's, right. it's not even a question. It's, it's actually, the question becomes, well, where's our DR site? And I guess that begs the question of, if you fast forward 19 years from today, you are you going to have, five you know, years. yeah, exactly. I mean, things are moving much more at a, at a much quicker pace today than, than they were. Um, is there going to be an effective, you know, are we even going to need a pandemic response plan or are we, is it going to be built in, you know, the, the amount of people that are leveraging work from home, you know, is, is there going to be any difference between being able to go to the office, not being able to go to the office is, is the way we, we traveled even three weeks ago going to be the same as we travel, you know, three years from now. Uh, I, I think the answer is probably no. I'm, I'm with you on that. No, I, I will say that 
there is definitely going to be a situation where companies, uh, whether you're in insurance or legal or human resources or what have you, there's going to be multiple different ways and multiple different sites that you're going to have to be able to connect into. So from a disaster recovery and continuity planning situation, all of that will have to be replicated regardless of the business. Where does this lead the future of latency and bandwidth? Latency is a big thing. I mean, it is to me. I, I stay up at night thinking about latency, which is, uh, you know, which is why I can, you know, grow corn on the rows in my head nowadays. But uh, it's latency. Think about this uh, just as an example. Ten years ago, when you got on Yahoo, you didn't mind if it took 20 seconds to load the full entire you know, page of Yahoo with all of its links out to other sites. If that takes more than two seconds to load now, what else are you on to? Oh, you're going somewhere on. else. You've moved on. So latency is, is, yeah, it's a race to zero on everything, uh, even in the content that you're consuming. If it takes too long, if there's a blip, it's over. So where do we go from here? I mean, we've become an information now culture. We want the information at our fingertips anywhere, anytime. And we have it available anywhere, anytime. It's always on your phone. You know, I'm on my Pixel right now. Uh, you can gather whatever you want. So where do we go from here? Well, you've got to have your systems react and be pointed towards the latency aspect of providing that content as fast and as quickly as possible if you want to keep people on your page. You have reminders like Amazon does. Hey, you were looking at this, you know, deodorant uh, 17 times that you get in your email afterwards, which is, yes, annoying, but that's the way that you recapture somebody's attention span. You know, I, I guess uh, one, one, one issue with that, if, if you can call it an issue, is uh, kind of the democratization of, of traffic and whether, you know, uh, in, in, in recent years, there was all this talk about, you know, guys like Netflix paying carriers and, uh, and telco providers a premium to prioritize their traffic, you know, versus, um, versus other folks. And, and I wonder, you know, how that'll, how that'll all play out. I think, that, uh, I think that depends on the political party in it at the time who's running the FCC, right? Because it all comes back who- to politics. <laughs> well, I mean, for the FCC, it, it, it really determines whether they're going to do net neutrality or not. Right. If, if you can, and if you can work together, which is a difficult thing for people to do, I think for the betterment of everybody, it, w- it would be open markets, better managed open markets in order to exchange this information back and forth in an expedient manner. But I'm coming from my standpoint, which is I just want to get the packet from A to Z. So there's other people who want to monetize that. And you're willing to pay anything to do it. Yeah, well, that helps. <laughs> but in terms of the bandwidth, you know, Nibio, going back to a couple of questions ago, I think it was about five years ago, my top end was, my top end allocation through Comcast was 50 meg down and uh, seven to 10 meg up. And now you can get a dedicated gig here for, I think it's about 120 a month. Now it's not dedicated, don't get me wrong, they oversubscribe on the back end, so on and so forth, but to your house, you think you got a gig. And that's, you know, makes me feel- As, ev- as evidenced by what happens every time you walk around. Pretty much, right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the pipes are there. I think, uh, 
I think in terms of uh, being able to move the packets back and forth, sure we can do it. You know, it's just putting an effort into doing so and making the right conversation happen. So you talked about net neutrality. Uh, wh where do you think we are at with FCC and what is the potential resolution as we get into the next government? Unfortunately, your guess is as good as mine. I, I, I know what I'd like to see, but it depends on, you know, there's some big dollars behind that sort of thing. A lot of times profit motivation will keep things separated out in order to grab the largest market share or be able to profit off of a certain thing. I don't know as a, based on the last couple of months, I don't know if that's the best way to go about doing things, at least for the delivery of information. Uh, I like a dollar just as much as the next person, but you know, at, at one point or another, you have to have an infrastructure that is able to deliver consistently. If you were king, what would you do different? I, I, I would open it up and I would put, probably put restrictions in space where you could carton off certain traffic. So unless there would be several caveats to it, and it's a much deeper story than that, I get that. Uh, you get people who take advantage of that sort of thing. So there would be caveats to address that sort of thing. But you should be able to ride any other public network, not at free will, but within reason. So what would be a definition of a free reason? Uh, not charging certain types of traffic like Netflix. You know, I, and I use Netflix very generally. You know, in this particular instance, all of your schools are at home. That traffic should be prioritized or should be at least able to be given up to the kids, uh, you know, in order for them to, to learn effectively from the teachers that they are now removed from. You know, I haven't, I haven't gone down the well of it too much, but I, you know, maybe something I should. You haven't do. planned to be king? I, I find that very difficult to believe. Okay, so I have the crown, okay? <laughs> but <laughs> I haven't picked out the robe yet or the scepter. So I haven't, you know, what are your thoughts on it? So like you iterated earlier, I, I believe we need to think about continuity. We need to think about sustainability. We need to think about a foundation whereby we don't end up building a house of cards. I believe where we're at today in the infrastructure, we've done great things. We made great strides. This industry is very young, relatively speaking, to everything else around us. Computing, about four decades. Data center communications, so on and so forth, about two decades or so. So very, very young, and I believe we have had an opportunity to learn from other industries and their mistakes. We need to create a platform that's sustainable. This is going to creep growing, and there's going to be continuous hockey effects with events like this in the future as well. So the platforms need to be open and fair to businesses and to users. It's a right to, to the mankind. It's the right to all of us. You know, the way net neutrality has been positioned, discussed, it's been very much driven by the political parties. It's been controlled by the political parties, whereby we need a separate body to define, and we need people such as yourself to, to lead initiatives like this. Sure. Yeah, I, I, I think when you, when you introduce the politics into it and, and the back the back-end deals. And coming from Chicago, we're, we're, pretty, uh, we're pretty used to the back-end deals. I mean, we, we had, the, had the daily regime, the daily machine, as they called it. Uh, and it got things done, sure, but it was done in a, in a fashion that you didn't really come to light. Not that it's necessarily wrong. I think, I think in a lot of different ways, like you said, 
it's important to have a third party that doesn't have relations to either side of that field uh, that isn't influenced through a ton of money where, where it doesn't really matter. Well, they call it's, it a lobbyist. <laughs> is, that, is, is that what they call it? Yeah, they, no, no, that's true. Okay. But yeah, the infrastructure, like you said, you know, like, like you iterated there, it, it's, we have so many examples of infrastructure builds over the last hundred years that we can look to uh, for examples of how to do things and how not to do things, maybe even more importantly, not to do things. Um, we haven't kept up our infrastructure, you know, for in the United States for the last 30 plus years, easily. Well, I, I also think that the people that the people that make the rules, like the politicians that are control, are inherently unsophisticated when it comes to, um, you know, the the the, the technology um, elements of society, whether whether it be the internet or computer or what have you, and it becomes really difficult. Um, at, let me rephrase: it becomes really easy to manipulate um, politicians because they still look at it as you know something for the kids to a certain extent. And that's changing, obviously, but, you know, I think it's going to be a generational thing. So I, I just don't think the current crop of politicians that are in control have that knowledge base that, that makes them adequate to, to implement rules or really understand what types of rules they're implementing. And maybe that's, a, you know, a little bit generalized, but uh, I think it's, it's... Let's change the subject, but I mean, you look at GDPR, you look at CCPA, very political driven. It's yeah. created a bigger mess than it needed to. Sure. And, and if you... You know, if you put the power in in the hands of the people who know what they're talking about, like I have no, I have no business dispensing medical advice. Like I, I can barely cut my own nails. Why would I have any influence over that arena? I shouldn't as a politician, you know, or as a business owner, all of a sudden I do, uh, depending on how it goes. So I think in terms of net neutrality and how we can grow out our business, yeah, put the people who know what they're doing and put them into a position where they can establish policies as a whole. And those people uh, tend to have less less um, tolerance for politics in general. They, so it's, very much so. And and I have no problems with that. So that's, that's my two on that. So COVID-19 is transforming our life. How has it affected the work that you do? Well, I've had the added benefit of, of working from home for the last six years, rough numbers, exclusively. From a direct relation to what I do, on one hand, it's another day in the another day in the park. On the other hand, uh, I was I was having a chat earlier with somebody. It, it's the option to go out and to move around is kind of gone, and that takes a different perspective on things. How it affects the work that we've done, I get a lot more calls and a lot more questions from people who do not have the same experience that I do, uh, looking for well, how do I do this? How do I do that? What do I need here? Uh, so it's more of a support uh, from a personnel standpoint, as opposed to the actual underlying infrastructure running, because that's just doing its thing. You were in a world where you you had to travel, you know, from data center to data center, you know, oftentimes to, uh, you know, to- oh, well, there is that, yeah. Connections, right? <laughs> so I assume that part of your life has been fairly uh, impacted. Uh, yeah, significantly I, impacted. So the last the last trip uh, I had was uh, Singapore and Tokyo in early February. I kind of feel responsible for everything here happening in the United States. Patient zero, we're looking at them. Yeah, right here. You know, but now we're to the point where 
Uh, I believe in London, they went into a lockdown where at least in one of the larger data center providers, uh, retail data center providers, uh, they're locking out all the customers and you have to utilize the internal smart hands to get anything done. Uh, there's been a definite slowdown in deployment of connectivity. Obviously, I'm not going anywhere for a while because there's really no flights to do so. Uh, and there's really no justification in light of what's happening. Keeping that in light, are you seeing business as usual? You are focusing more on just keeping up with and maintaining the infrastructure or is there initiative in place for further enhancements and upgrades? So the short answer on that is, is yes to both. So the first one is our infrastructure is typically typically spec'd very high anyway. Usually we're, I'm not going to say bleeding edge, but we're, we're pretty close to the quickest and least latency sensitive. We're a latency sensitive environment. So everything is spec'd very high. In times like this, where you have massive volatility in the market, uh, grand uncertainty from a social level, uh, it is actually better for us to take our hands off the wheel and allow autopilot to run for a while, if you will, and just let the infrastructure do as it will. That opens us up to plan for the next phase. So we, we watch for any type of uh, problems that will be coming along. Of course, there's always the monitoring component and make sure that nothing goes wrong there. But then you open up for a planning phase where we can say, all right, well, this is what we know about this particular set of time. This is no, what we know is coming down the pipe. And this is how we're going to plan to be out in front of that. So the next time we have a situation like this, we'll have everything in place first. And so we can just take our hands off the wheel. If we're running behind, we're toast. Do you feel comfortable that there is enough tools, processes, protocols, you know, data points in place where the autopilot would suffice for, for a period of time and, and, and you can focus on other things? Or if, there is that level of criticality and exposure that there, there might be another wave that could potentially disrupt the autopilot and move it from track? Sure. So I think we're talking about two, or I guess there's two different perspectives on from the infrastructure standpoint, and specifically talking about the financials in the trading world, it's better if I don't touch anything. And the reason that is, is, you know, you have the expectation of a certain uh, latency profile, you know, you have a certain expectation of a certain path, and anything that I do could adversely affect that. So it's better to go with the known which puts me into a position where I can now go to decide in a separate environment and build out a new environment that may be a little bit faster, a little bit, you know, better paths, so on and so forth. But I don't introduce that during this period of time. You have time to focus on R&D. Yeah, it, it, the R&D starts moving forward a little bit more because it's, it's not like in the middle of a firefight, you're just going to sit down and have lunch. And, you know, as the markets are, at the current moment in time, if a piece of social news comes out or Bill, Bill Ackman gets on CNBC and starts, Christ. you know, the market is going to fluctuate very, 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 very quickly. And if I'm in the middle of making a change to theoretically make things better, people lose millions of dollars and, and well, I'll be calling for a job. But this is a critical time for the financials to take a look and see what's working and what's not and what could be done better. Not that that isn't always a phase. There's just more emphasis from the financials on that. I don't want to mess with the trading path. 
Exactly. So I guess to, to oversummarize that, they believe the right path is not to saw your parachute on, on the way down. You might get to the ground faster, but I don't think the end result is where you want to be. <laughs> what do you see uh, some positives that are going to come out of uh, COVID-19 from a technology perspective and adoption of technology? I, I think everyone's going to become a lot more comfortable with the idea of, of being able to remotely work. Uh, I think ultimately that will help in people's perspectives on taking care of themselves. The stress levels of, of even commuting is is actually pretty high. You know, I've been on the New York subway. I don't know how you guys do it. Um, I really don't. Because the you alternative know. is staying home with our two kids while they, okay, well, while they try to eat. Our... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 well, fair We're enough. Replacing one stress for another, as you uh, you probably uh, I don't know if you can see like the the historically large bags under my eyes right now. No, uh, no, no, I'm not sure this particular time is uh, is 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 one of lack of uh, of stress, but uh, there's no question commuting is yeah. uh, is no walk in the park either. No, commuting, and then you know the, the office has its own set of set of intricacies that that are interesting. I think people will be ultimately more productive when left to their own devices, as opposed to the water cooler talk, and not to you know even though that's important, is to be able to reach out to people and get together with people. So. I think in the immediate term, there's a lot of anxiety that's being produced around this. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of unknowns. Uh, ultimately, I think what's going to happen is businesses are going to figure out that they don't need the footprint that they they have in place. There's probably going to be some nice cost savings there. I think there's going to be some different definitions to the new normal on who's able to work from home a considerable amount of time. I, I think that there's a lot of things here at play which are very, very interesting. So with the definition of the new normal, do you think it's going to broaden the gap between the generations that we have? Oh, boy. We're talking the boomers and the millennials? Is that what we're exactly. talking? Exactly, yeah, and the Gen yeah. Z. Man, uh, you know, well, you know, and the funny part is, is we didn't even mention Gen X, which te mm -hmm. technically I'm the one in the middle, but I think we're just, you know, I think we're just hearing it from both sides and just grabbing the popcorn and watching. You know, there seems to be a lot of fireworks in between them. Uh, I see a lot of similarities between the generations, uh, the way they came up and the way that they react. That's my perspective on it. Do I think it's going to close the gap? Well, yes and no. Certain areas, certain areas, probably not. I think, uh, I think everyone likes to point the finger as opposed to being accountable for their own actions. Uh, it's just easier that way. And so they're going to default to what's easiest. Yeah, and that's calling the, the millennials or the Gen Z to come in and turn on their TV. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. So I kind of believe the gap is going to get bigger because the, the boomers, their definition of technology is getting email on their mobile device and now using, using Twitter or a social platform to communicate. Our generation, the X and the millennials... We're kind of like in the middle of it. We've grown up with it. So we've got a different definition of, you know, social distancing, yet connecting on platforms like this is a norm to us. It's not a norm to those people. So right. what is going to happen to them? I mean, I believe that they're going to go move farther and farther away because they're not comfortable with it. They believe, you know, pressing the power button on the computer is going to blow it up. No, oh, there is that. Yeah. Doesn't. Uh, it doesn't blow it up. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh -oh. <laughs> yeah. 
looking for a new line of work. That's going to be a very interesting one um, to see how this kind of ferrets out over the next five years with this. I think there's going to be certain one, certain people who are going to uh, embrace it and utilize it, and they're going to have the same learning curve that we did 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when it was all brand new. As I watched the internet progress into what it was, what it could be, and the downsides to it, and how things are never really gone. And then you had the advent of the iPhone, which completely threw it into high gear. And you have a lot of people who, they don't watch what they say, uh, and that's a learning curve. And it comes back around to bite you. Uh, it always does. And now if you have the, if you have, you know, the boomer generation embrace it more, they're not trying to protect their job. Maybe they're saying more than they should. Maybe that's, you know, so it could go a number of different ways. I think it'll, it'll, it'll probably in the near term, um, you know, increase that gap will probably increase, but at the end of the day, uh, just sheer loneliness, uh, given, given the new normal will, will force, um, the, that those older generation of folks, uh, to start adopting this technology. My mother-in-law is a, is a piano teacher who never even thought of the idea of you know doing virtual lessons over FaceTime or, or Zoom, and now every single one of her students, because you know she's she's older, she's in like in the in the pathway of the curve for the most vulnerable people to to COVID nineteen, and and now every one of her students in a fairly short period of time is uh, is is being taught you know through FaceTime, and you know she's adapting, and obviously the first few lessons are a little bit difficult, but that becomes something that they get more comfortable with because again you evolve or you know you run the risk of what happens when you don't evolve and it's not pleasant uh yeah. what i'm told anyway yeah i think you there's know? a lot of pluses and a lot of minuses to it because you talk about you talk about loneliness facebook's cool and all but they're not your friends oh none of them are yeah you're counting the number of likes you're gonna get after every post right right and you're basically yeah. giving away your data for free and that becomes like what they what, what they're selling which is yeah, exactly a different discussion yeah. but yeah, yeah uh, it's kind of interesting to bring that I was actually talking to one of my friends who's in law enforcement, and he's like, this is actually in a lot of ways a great time because po people are posting a lot of content so we know where they're at and what they're up to. <laughs> so we don't need to increase our our human capital. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, as, as people. Absolutely. As so what led you to your profession and uh, what has helped you be successful and to, to get to where you're at in your journey? When I started, this is 90, I started significantly into computers in 96. So uh, this is netware days of 3.1, you know, not even 4.0 was out at that point in time, or it was just coming out. And I was placing together computers and servers and, you know, base operating systems, loading stuff with DOS. I mean, we're going back basically a quarter century here. And really, as the, as I got out of my, education, there was kind of a downturn in the market anyway. So I, the way that I got into it is, is I walked down the street to a computer repair shop and I said, I need a job. And uh, the, the guy there was desperate because there weren't people. And he goes, well, do you know how to change out a power supply? And I said, absolutely. Lied through my teeth. Now he said, all right, great. Why don't you uh, change out this power supply and uh, I'll be back in you know 10 minutes to make sure you did it right. And I said, fine, no problem. So he hands me the power supply and he hands me this computer and he goes, comes back in 10 minutes. I've got everything hooked up and he goes, okay, uh, let's pop it on. Let's make sure it works. And I said, okay, great. And so we pop it on 
the entire power to the building goes up. And I turned around and I went, I think I'm a little bit over my head here. And he goes, no, I put the sticker on backwards to see if you could follow instructions. Because it was more about being able to critically think about what was in front of you and, and the ability to work in, in a method like that. So, yeah, that was my introduction to working, you know, formally in the computer industry. And that taught me a severe amount of humility about what I was doing at the period of time in one fell swoop. The way that I go about doing things, uh, I have a severe amount of humility and I don't believe that I know everything. So that has helped out quite a bit of, was it Mike Tyson said, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face? Well, that was day one for me. After that, uh, you know, what made me successful in the way moving forward was willing to outwork anybody uh, that I could, having a severe drive to making sure that things were up and were done correctly, uh, and a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. I did a ton of reading, that's for sure. I, I'm sure that everyone else's story is, is relatively the same. Yes, I'm sure most people burned down a building the first time they swept out a power supply. I have to, I have to say it did not burn entirely. <laughs> <laughs> that's when they discovered the EPO button. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> That's when they invented the EPO button. Yeah, I was responsible for patents. So what, what would you say that your unique skill is, skill that you've developed over the last two decades of being in the industry? Obviously, on the, the networking side of things and being able to path out things correctly, you know, for the shortest amount of latency is something that is not, it's not typically looked at. Usually, there's multiple different perspectives for different industries on how things in the communications aspect are looked at. Uh, I believe that there's always a better way to do something. Uh, it's just a matter of putting in the work to do it. And sometimes that happens, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, but I will always find whatever goes to the bottom line for any corporation. Really. So, you know, we have got a challenge in the industry uh, from a human capital perspective. Uh, our industry is very young, relatively speaking, to other industries such as financials construction, yeah. so on and so forth. And we are not that sexy. I mean, we are actually behind the scenes. Nobody knows about us. We are Oz behind the curtains. What advice would you give the younger generation that's wanting to enter into the data center in the tech industry? So there's a, there's a couple of things. Like you said, we're, we're behind the scenes. And I have this saying uh, that I, I let everybody know that I'm working with. If, if you're hearing from me, there's a problem. You should never even know I'm there. In fact, you should never hear from me because things should just work. Uh, and if they don't, then, and you're hearing from me, then you know there's a significant problem. In terms of giving advice to you know, the people coming into this industry or maybe, maybe they're making a decision on whether they should or whether it would be you know, fulfilling or be part of living their best life or, or what have you, there's a ton of great relationships that you can make in this industry. There's a ton of very interesting stuff. It, it is called work for a reason. Not all of it is fun, but there's great things that you can do, great relationships you can make. You have tremendous strides to move along up the ladder. If you don't want to move up the ladder, you can move sideways. Ideally, you don't move down the ladder. Really, there's just a lot of growth and a lot of interesting things to do. And like I said, not all of it is sexy. You know, sitting in a data center where it's dark on purpose and it's colder on purpose uh, you know, it's not the it's not the most fun thing to do, but when you think about the underlying things that it's supporting, which is everything, 
there's nothing that's not affected by our industry. You got to feel pretty good about that um, in terms of a mission in life. Yep. So what do you wish you had known when you started out? What you know, advice from, would you give to your younger self? Yeah. Oh, you guys read, you guys hear that one too. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I probably would have done it the same. Uh, just being who and what I am being more comfortable with that right off the bat and knowing that, you know, not everybody else is going to push uh, as, as hard as I will push uh, and be all right with that. Have a little bit more humility about it and know that you can go at your, go at your pace, whether that is a frenetic pace uh, or whether that's a more consistent, more consistent run at things. Either way is fine. Just be all right with it. Yep. Well, so you've done a lot. You've accomplished a lot. Uh, how do you continue to learn? I mean, in this ever-changing world, uh, technology is evolving on a daily basis. We've got something new coming out every day. How do you keep up with the times? That's the best thing in the world. Um, the fact is, as soon as you, you know, as soon as you you buy into the fact that you don't know anything, you know, in the grand scheme of things, you make friends who do, who do know things in certain areas that you're not going to get. I have, I am, I am the least knowledgeable person on this phone call. You know, yeah, you can try and keep up, but it evolves so quickly. Like you said, there is always something new to learn, which is kind of exciting if you're into that sort of thing. And you just constantly bounce ideas off people and then you research them and you go into that particular arena and you try and make good insteps for whatever you're doing. Always try and make progress towards what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, other ways that I do it is I have conversations with people. I, I like people, um, so which is unusual for technologists. <laughs> uh, it's really not. Uh, people love talking, and obviously so do I. So we bounce, a, bounce ideas off each other, and what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And, oh, you know, how are you doing that? And boy, that, that's a web that just keeps growing. And, and it really produces some very interesting, you know, fruit from there. So that's how I go after it. I think, and um, yeah. if you look at, uh, if you look at one of the questions you asked was, uh, Nabil, was uh, what good can come out of COVID-19? Um, and I think one of the things um, there's no question of is this idea that was utterly impossible three weeks ago or a month ago of just a global pause, like everyone, I mean, I get it, trading is still happening and volatility and blah, 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 but everyone is, everyone is sitting at home and just, you know, kind of the, the mind is working and you're trying to get through your day to day, but inevitably you're posting pictures on Instagram and Kevin is doing whatever it is Kevin does when he's at home. Yeah, um, don't ask. I, <laughs> I won't. That's a different, that's a different podcast. That's a, yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it's just this idea of being able to like, Inter like understand internalize focus on you know the 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 grander scheme of things and 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 focus your energies on not just you know getting through your day and going to the office and going from business lunch as much as I love them to business lunch or meeting to meeting or traveling or, or whatever it's that time that you have Nabil who travels all the time and Kevin who travels you know significantly that time on the plane where you are just that's your time to, to think. I don't travel that much. 
I have the bathroom. That's basically all I have. Um, <laughs> but basically, everybody is in the plane. Everybody is sitting on the toilet essentially 24 hours a day and able to just not worry about the, the craziness that's going around all around us. And I think there's something beneficial about that, that we might not see this second, but I, I think it might slow down the pace, you know, in, in the longer term as, as people start becoming acclimated to this idea of not having to, you know, spend three hours a day commuting or, or, or whatever. Probably one of the positives looking at it it's bringing the community closer. It's bringing friends closer. It's actually creating more of a personal relationship and it's eliminating the false personas that people have actually put on uh, for the last couple of decades. Uh, the real people are coming, coming out. The conversations are real. Which is you counterintuitive. Know. You would think that the exact opposite would happen, but somehow, you know, this thing that has made us all separate from each other has somehow brought us closer together and made the world smaller because now you guys are just inches away from each other on my screen. Not even inches, millimeters away from each other on the screen. That is a, that is a great perspective on it, isn't it? I, I spent more time in Kevin's house in the last two weeks than <laughs> I would ever have spent had it not been for COVID-19. That's true. That's true. You know, yeah. but I, ho I hope that's the way that it, it ends up going. You know, people Absolutely. have better conversations. Uh, they take a little bit more time thinking about what they're doing. Uh, or what they're about to do as opposed to the reactionary, you know, like, just get it done. Mm -hmm. My God, I have so many dishes old every day. So many dishes. I mean, I can't take it. I'm constantly okay. running that dishwasher. I got two dishwashers now. Of so course I, you do. Yeah, of course I do. Yeah. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Kevin McNicholas. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Kevin, thank you very much for taking the time. It was great seeing you. Enjoy the conversation. Awesome. Until next time. Absolutely. You get to see you in person. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, as soon as the airwaves come up, I'm coming out to Hawaii, my friend. So I think, I think there, you're going to have a huge influx of uh, <laughs> population migration. Talk about chain migration. We're all coming to Kona. <laughs> this has been great. Nothing lasts forever. Markets will come back. Currencies will rebound. Businesses will go on and we'll all move on. That could happen next week, next month, or next year. I'm confident that those who prepare rather than panic will come out of this stronger. Thank you for joining us. This has been brought to you by Nomad Futurist. Check us online at nomadfuturist.com.